This episode of the Big Head Chats podcast on the On The Pine Sports Network is brought to you by Mulcahy & Co. Marketing. For all your marketing needs, Gav and the team have you covered. They do it all, including making our website. Check it out at www.onthepinesports.com.au. They also build online stores using Shopify. Throughout COVID, more and more businesses need to go online and Gav can help you do that. Check out their latest store at www.wardrobebythesea.com.au. If you need some help with your online presence, then get into contact with the team at www.mulkay.com.au slash marketing. Now I can actually provide a service for you through the podcast. So mention Big Head Chats while you're there and the guys will give you a free website report on your current website, which gives you an idea of how it is performing with SEO, page load and many other aspects. It also gives you recommendations for changes that can be made. So, uh, yeah, jump on it quick because I can finally give you something, listeners. But for now, let's jump into this week's episode. Let's go. All right, here we go. Big Head Chats is back for another episode, one that I'm really excited about. Um, Had Jackson Thomas on from Vintage Kit last week um so if you missed that jump on super smart dude that taught me so much uh in such a short time it was about 40 minutes so jump on there have a listen to jackson really really smart guy um this week i'm going to follow the fashion path into this episode because an issue that has become really prevalent for me lately is the idea of sustainable clothing um environmentally friendly and ethical ways to produce clothes without contributing to an already oversaturated market um my knowledge on the topic is very, very basic, but everything I've learnt so far has come from Rani Muka, and she joins me today. Rani, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. No, thank you for having me. Now, first up, we're just going to kick off with some COVID talk because I feel like getting you down in the dumps. <laughs> uh, how are you faring during lockdown so far? Um, I'm pretty good. I've just I've been I've moved back in with my parents, um, so I was living down in Melbourne, working down there. But um, of course, the restrictions down there are a lot worse than here in Ballarat so I thought the best option would be to come back here and I've been here for a couple of months now and and yeah haven't been doing much really. How are you finding uh, living back with the parents again? Is it a bit different? Yeah it's very interesting. Um, I mean it's a huge adjustment to go from living by yourself to back in with parents like the last time I was living at home was in high school so Definitely can't get away with doing anything without um, someone knowing what I'm doing. Yeah, like the the questioning every time you sort of leave the oh, house. Oh, every like, time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Who I'm talking to on the phone, where I'm going, like <laughs> why am I dressed up? Oh, everything, everything's questioned. Just brings back good memories, I think, of, uh, of the high school days <laughs> and uh, the struggles yeah. of uh, trying to, you know, get out and have a social life sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> Not that you can have like a huge one at the moment, but it's like, yeah, even yeah. even to leave to go like a doctor's appointment or something, it feel like a few questions before I head out the door. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling. Now, um, before we get going, we grew up in the same town in Ballarat for 20 plus years. We, you were born in Ballarat, weren't you, and, and lived there forever? Yeah, yeah, I've been in Ballarat. Um, and we were discussing it earlier. I don't think we've actually ever spoken. We've been in the same circles, no. um, you know, lots of the same parties and all that kind of jazz, but never actually spoken words to each other, I don't think. Yeah, no, and we just distantly heard of each other, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's just pretty funny because I just I would have thought that at some point in 20 plus years in, in Ballarat, which isn't, wasn't, like it's bigger now, wasn't massive when we were yeah. younger. Um, no. So, yeah, that's funny. Just something I thought about then. And, uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, now, Rani, you're a, you've done a Bachelor of Fashion uh, Design and then are doing now a Bachelor of Arts in Sustainable Development. So, would you consider yourself a bit of an expert in this area? Um, I don't know if, if expert's the right word, but um, I definitely, yeah, like I spend a lot of my time thinking about sustainable and ethical fashion and, it, yeah, it consumes a lot of my life even like when I'm not at work and, and when I'm not studying, it's kind of something that I'm always thinking about really. So what, um, so you posted on Instagram recently about, it was more focusing on influencers making their own clothing brands and the impacts 
that can have on the environment and graduates like yourself. Um, can you yeah. talk me through that post a little bit and, um, yeah, what, what went into that? Yeah. I guess that the post is definitely really spur of the moment. Um, I think in the past couple of weeks I've been talking to a lot more people that I went to uni with and stuff like that. And, and like seeing influencers um, create brands and labels and it's just frustrating, you know, because we're, we're kind of taught about so many different environmental impacts and um, ethical like considerations you need to make when making clothing. And yeah, it's, it's frustrating to see people like put product out. So like, I, I don't want to use the term like recklessly, but like um, just needlessly and, and kind of without any acknowledgement of, of the impact they're, they're making. Um, um, well, yeah, and that's, I mean, because yeah, I remember at uni last year, there was some people talking about that uh, for some pieces they want to write. And I'd never really heard of, you know, the whole idea of sustainable clothing before then. Um, and then I saw your post yeah. and so it sort of rejig my memory a bit. But, it, you know, it makes sense to me now because you see so many people that start up these, you know, they have their own sort of little businesses. They're either an, in, an Instagram influencer or whatever or they have a podcast yeah. and so they want to – it's like the next step is okay. Let's get some merch out, or let's get some marketing out. Yeah, let's, exactly. You know, um, yeah. Some different ways to get our name out there. So it does, and now I can see the problems with it. So what are the problems with influencers and and people like that just making merch as a sort of a marketing tool? Well, yeah, it's pretty complex because I guess there's a lot of things you need to kind of consider when you're um, creating clothing, and and I guess. Um, like probably it's a good place to start is like the difference between like in the environment and ethical, like those kind of considerations you have to make. And, and those are two different things. And um, I guess when you talk about the environment, you're talking about like the use of non-renewables and, and greenhouse gases and pollution and huge quantities of energy and chemicals and waters that we're using in the fashion industry. Um, and then when you're looking at ethical, like you you're, more along the lines of like working conditions and child labour and um, low wages and discrimination and harassment in the workplace. So it's kind of, you've got to really consider how those issues um, are, are causing this problem and how you as a designer and in, in this instance of an influencer, how you can not contribute, like continue to contribute to that problem. Um, I guess the, the most important thing I see in in creating clothing is like supply chain transparency. So understanding where everything in your supply chain is coming from is, is really crucial. So when your materials are coming from, what kind of materials you're going to use, are they going to be naturally occurring like cotton and linen or are they going to be synthetic like polyester and acrylic and acetate? Um, and then I guess this, there's this idea of like a preferred fiber. So from an environmental standpoint, cotton and linen and naturally occurring fibers are probably your best option if you want to create sustainable products, um, which you then have to consider things like, is it going to be organic cotton? Is it not going to be organic cotton? Um, and then there's like fair trade and, and certifications that um, you need to consider when using organic cotton. Um, what dyes are used? Fastenings like buttons and zips and buckles. And then more along the lines of the ethical considerations, it's like, well, where is your clothing made and, and um, who is making your clothing and where is it coming from? And I think there's this idea of like a sweatshop and I like think a lot more people have that, that term in their vocabulary, but there's definitely this modern concept of, of what a sweatshop is and that, that comes in varying degrees of extremity really. Um, and then, like, it's, it's difficult then because you, you look at all that as, like, the start of your supply chain. But if you want to go to the end of your supply chain, which is something we learned a lot about at uni in my final year, was how do we design products um, for its end use? So where does the clothing end up once the consumer is finished with it? Um, like, is it resold? And if so, like, where is it resold? Because... Um, charity stores in Australia only accept about 5% of what we donate and the rest is sent overseas or into landfill. And um, if it's not sent into landfill here, it's then sent to like a secondhand um, clothing 
market in internationally, which is really interesting as well to see how like that that market is um works and how that kind of economy works as well. Yeah, so I mean, I remember. So we we were, we were discussing this um, just on a on a text, and and you sent me all all those um, considerations you have to make uh, for the environment yeah. and for the ethical side as well. And I'm not going to lie, it hurt my brain a little bit. I was like, holy crap! Like that's so much stuff to consider. But um, I mean, it just sort of it probably proves to me that there's so many people that are obviously not. Um, considering any of that stuff because you know they're selling merch seriously cheap like trying to use, yeah, use yeah. and I imagine that if you're gonna if you're gonna consider all those things it wouldn't be cheap but you would know that you're obviously doing the right thing and, and yeah. making these clothes in the right way no yeah it's, it's definitely interesting looking at like um, markups and stuff like that and kind of um, price breakdowns because like when you, when you walk into like Kmart or something like that and you see like a five dollar t shirt, it's like from from my point of view, I you kinda of look at something that's that's cheap and, and that disposable and, and wonder how is something like that made for five dollars? Like where what percentage of that goes to the work, the garment work and what percentage of that is the markup, what percentage of that is the cost of materials and, and that kind of thing. So it's it, it's interesting looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, and so I'm wearing a, a Patagonia T-shirt right now, and so I wanted to talk a bit about some of the brands that are doing are heading down this ethical and environmentally friendly path, um, and if there's many that are that are doing it, or if it's sort of you know we're playing a bit of catch up at the moment, and brands are taking a while to catch on to this cause. Yeah, well, Patagonia is yeah probably one of the, the really good examples to use there pioneers in kind of the sustainable fashion um, sector, I guess because they are more of a mainstream brand as well and more people know and more people buy from them. It's, it's really good to see that like they're trying to push that um, that conversation into the mainstream. But um, yeah, I definitely think there are more brands that are, that are becoming more ethical and environmentally friendly because I guess um, it's like a question that a lot of people will, will say to me is just like I'm having trouble like shopping sustainably because I can't really find that many sustainable brands and and that kind of thing. But um, it does take a lot to kind of look into if a brand is sustainable and I that kind of breaks down to three categories, I'd say. And um, I mean, the first would be that more brands are establishing themselves as sustainable, um, which is amazing because from the get-go, they've, they've set this... Um, bench for them to sit on and, and kind of um, adhere to certain expectations and sustainable practices in, in their business. Um, the second would be brands that are probably realising their impact into their, um, since their establishment and they're trying to create more meaningful change, which is a lot harder because when you come from working with a non-sustainable background, trying to look for alternative modes of practice is, is difficult and, and kind of raising the standards of in the way in which you operate a business is is really hard but um, it definitely creates a lot more meaningful change and it's great to see brands that, that are making like active and, and continuous targets and setting those goals and then, and then meeting them. Um, the last of the three categories I'd say is probably not like the best um, category because it, it like to me the, these are the brands that Say they have sustainable practices um, that don't necessarily like it's, it's kind of all closed doors and you kind of don't know what they're doing behind closed doors really because they um, will have like this little fruity sustainable page that, that's like oh we're trying to do the best for the environment but it's like well like, where are my clothes coming from then like who's making them where are the materials coming from like you, you, like as a consumer you deserve to, to know those kinds of things and it's definitely a more prevalent um, term used that, that's called greenwashing, where it's like brands will use um, green marketing tactics to falsely depict themselves as being environmentally friendly and conscious. And I guess, yeah, like from a consumer's point of view, it's definitely hard to separate the good and the bad and who's acting on their promises and who wants to seem like they are acting on their promises. Um, and like, I guess it'd be probably a good point to add that the people that are trying to shop more sustainably, that there are definitely a lot more tools and resources and platforms 
that you can look at nowadays to kind of weed out those bad um, kind of brands doing not, not very good things. The first would be, um, it's a it's an app you can have on your phone. It's called Good On You. And you kind of just put in what brand you want to shop at and it gives you like a rating of, of what they're um, doing. And, and if they're adhering to certain sustainable practices and if they're doing really well and they're doing really good things and, and that's the kind of like third-party auditing system that's um, becoming a lot more common nowadays, I'd say. Um, the other one that's really good, which is run by Oxfam, it's called Watch You Make. And that talks more about um, the women making our clothing. And that um, focuses on bigger brands like Kmart and, and Big W and H&M, Cotton On, and they kind of give them a, a rating as well on um, targets that they should meet to kind of boost this idea of a livable wage. Um, the other that's really good is Fashion Revolution, and they um, run a fashion transparency index. So it's not kind of like, it's not an auditing system. It's a, a research and communication tool. And it's this huge report. It's like 200 pages that they um, they like measure and, and put in um, what brands can do to become more transparent about their supply chain. And I think the last report, I'm pretty sure it was like over 250 brands were included. And these like internationally renowned brands. So it's like, it's really good to see kind of all these huge large-scale brands like stacked up against each other. So, um, Rani, you've, you've nailed podcasting for me because you just answered a question I was going to ask you next. So that's perfect. You've just uh, <laughs> saved me some work. But, yeah, so the big thing um, for me, and it's probably through a lack of trying to research it to this point, um, but I'll yeah. obviously try to now, but, yeah, is that it didn't seem like there was – heaps of ways to find out you know unless it's a patagonia who are really open and their whole website is filled with all their sustainable and ethical um goals Mm. with their with their clothing but it didn't seem like it was super easy to find out the information that you would want to find out um from some brands obviously some brands are a lot better but then the apps you've just mentioned and, and those um accounts seem to be really helpful in that area for people like me who you know don't have a lot of knowledge about fashion whatsoever. No, yeah, they, they are really good because it's kind of like, I guess when you rely solely on, on a brand to tell you everything, like they could be um, keeping things from their, their customers. And I mean, I mean, as, as awful as that sounds, it, it is definitely true. So yeah, third-party um, systems are, are really good to have in place. Now, um, I don't want to go on a personal attack of some people, but the, there are some people that uh, have been in the news lately that have started clothing brands and after seeing your post and, and all the work you've been doing, it's pretty clear to me that they're not following, you know, or trying to look after all these considerations with the, with their clothing. Um, yeah. One being, I don't know if you saw Mia Favola um, and her clothing brand. Um Oh, no, I actually haven't seen that. So, how, like, how, you you sort of discussed it already, but how frustrating is it when, you know, they're doing these, they're making this merchandise, and, um, you know, for me anyway, some of it isn't real, doesn't even look good, but they're getting by through their name, and then it affects yeah, obviously the environment. Yeah. It's not ethically done, and then it affects, you know, graduates like you that they're taking jobs off. Yeah, I think overall, like, the the frustration I have with influencers creating their brands has to do with, like, I feel like it discounts fashion education a lot. Like, we, I think I'll I'll talk on it a little bit later, but, like, um, we, like, we're constantly being judged for studying fashion and, and there's this, like, reaction you get when you tell people you study fashion that it's this kind of, like, easy cop out to to go to uni and to design clothes and it's really not like it's, it's a lot harder than a lot of people think and um it's interesting to see like how many people think that like anyone can start a brand and I I think particularly of late um with there being like more active like acknowledgement of the environmental and sustainable like con- like impacts 
you, you can't like design products at a quick and easy rate and you need to like people and businesses need to be held accountable and that's why it's, it's a really difficult job to do because you have so much responsibility as a brand to adhere to practices and, and to uphold um, these ideals that, that kind of aid the planet rather than um, put it in a, in a state of dismay. Yeah, and so that will we'll, that leads well into we'll go into what we're going to talk about later. We'll do it now. Um, about what you yeah. what else you said in in your post about the the education, um, for you. And one part that really caught my eye in your post was you said eighty one percent of fashion students feel shame working in fashion. Can you explain that little sort of blurb for me in your post? Because that was something that really shocked me. Yeah, well, I actually didn't know anything about that statistic. Um. I found it in a report by the Sustainable Fashion Initiative um, a few weeks ago, and it's, it's a report written by three design students. And the main themes of the report are about how um, unpaid internships in the fashion industry like is really prevalent, and the fashion industry um, accepts unpaid labour by design students. I mean, um, myself, like any internships I've done have all been unpaid, and, and you kind of... Like it's something that resonated with me because later on in the report they talked about the idea of um, shame that fashion students feel and and yeah it's kind of something that hit a chord in me I think and how I said before telling people like when you study fashion it's like I think that I don't know what it is but it's kind of like this switch in their like face and you see the reaction and I I think it has to probably do with the fact that they think that you're like a little bit less intelligent than they are. And I, I can't speak from like everyone's experiences, but yeah, that's certainly how I, I feel. And and I mean, I guess like I don't want to go off track here, but um, from design students to like um, garment workers in Bangladesh, like females make up the majority of the fashion industry. We're a female-dominated field, and I think it's eighty percent of of the fashion industry um, is women. And in that, our like. 20% of the male counterparts in the fashion industry, they make up the majority of, of the top paid positions and like they are the CEOs, they're the upper management brand owners and I mean even down into retail management, um, they're always in authorities and power positions and I guess because male designers are considered rare and, and opposed to female designers in, in that instance, um, they, they are treated a lot Better. And I mean, we learn at uni um, the history of fashion and the majo- majority of the designers we learn about it are male and, and we kind of learn about their impact and their contributions to the industry, but we don't really talk about women in that in- instance. And um, I don't want to say feminist because I know so many people get defensive when you say that, but the fashion industry is extremely sexist and to say it isn't is like a huge understatement because as a society, we we perpetuate the notion that fashion is frilly and, and it's glamorized and it's like that going to fashion shows and, and it doesn't require a lot of knowledge and, and I think that has to do with like the shame, that internalized shame that um, I definitely feel every time I tell someone I study fashion. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that like in, in that little blurb, I kind of touched on influences glamorizing fashion and the idea of like them romanticizing fashion, um, it really discounts a lot of lived experiences from people that, that are trying to work their way up in the fashion industry and it discounts the, the all the murky parts of the fashion industry like the exploitation and slave labor and, and especially the environmental impact. And I think going back to what you just talked about, about the uh, the fashion industry being um, sexist and how people get defensive. I feel like if you're if you're getting defensive about that, then you're part of the problem because there's obviously an issue there. Oh, do, you, do, you get, do you get that sort yeah. of sense? It's like it's like anything. It's like the whole um, issue with Adam Goods and people get defensive when they say that Australians are racist. Yeah, and it's like 100%, well, 100%. if you're getting defensive about it, you're part of the problem because it was clearly racism, um, and yeah. now we've we've lost such a, a champion of the game who's never coming back. So. Um, I think Definitely. it's great though that we yeah. can talk about this issue, these issues, because obviously something has to change. If if you know, if what you're saying is happening, where you know it is a, ma- a female-dominated industry, but with the small percentage of males that there are, 
being in top positions. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like if you if you think about it as like their problem, like you need, we like this is coming from like people that work in the industry, we need to start thinking of it as, as something that's our problem and it's our problem to it's our job to fix fix these issues and kind of like achieve this overarching ideology of, of equality and and yeah, it's it's very complex to talk about and I think if I go too far deep you won't probably be able to pull me out of it. <laughs> I'll probably keep on rambling. Well maybe we'll, we'll save it for a part two. We can do that a bit later and yeah. uh, we can really just let it's just like a Rani chat fest. Just let Rani absolutely oh, go for it. We can <laughs> no. I think if, if my younger sister heard you say that she'd probably roll her eyes because the amount of times we have this conversation at the dinner table and I think she just ends up walking off on me because <laughs> <laughs> we just end up talking about it too much. Don't worry, I know the struggle. I know the struggle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now we might we'll backstep a little bit and we'll talk a bit about uh, you mentioned vintage kit uh, and vintage wear uh, a little bit at the start there. Um, now mm-hmm. I'm a huge vintage clothes fan. Absolutely love it. Um, as I've said to you, half my wardrobe is vintage. So um, purely because yeah, yeah. it looks good, I think it looks nice. But then I've now learned that it has some benefits in this whole area. Can you sort of talk about a bit about? Um, the rise in, in the popularity of vintage clothes and how it can help uh, the fashion industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, yeah, vintage clothing and, and buying secondhand is really, really important because it contributes to this idea of like a circular economy. And I, I don't know if you know like too much about that because it's only like relatively new, I'd say. Like, I mean, the concept's been around for ages, but in the fashion industry, is kind of learning about it more. Um, and because we in the industry operate from this take, make, discard model or a linear model of design. So it's pretty much in a straight line. You you come from design, manufacturing, distribution to then um, waste, essentially, like the post-consumer waste. And um, when I say circular, you kind of mean then after you distribute distribute an item, you use, rewear and um, reuse and reuse over and over again. So it's... It, back in this closed loop system and then of course once um, it's done in, in that instance it goes back up for collection recycling and then it works back its way into the system so it's like a circle um, per se but um, like when you, you use and reuse these items that that's how you do it you do it through secondhand markets and rental platforms and nowadays there's so many more ways you can um buy secondhand and you can shop secondhand and it's really good like Facebook marketplace and buy swap and sell like you have so many more rental pages and websites like Depop um Bestiaire the real real and designer wardrobe like they're all second like hand resale market and I think people don't realize like how important that is I think a lot of people sell their clothing to get a bit of extra money and I mean to be fair like that's how I used to do I used to just sell clothing to to make a bit of money on the side, but it's really important to kind of um, boost that economy and and contribute to that secondhand market because it's, at the end of the day, it's really yeah, it's a sustainable way to to kind of contribute to these issues. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, even just like all of my shoes and clothes I have, I'm just sort of thinking mm-hmm. down the line, like. I feel like it's all going to come back into popularity again, even if it leaves pop- yeah. the popularity uh, in, you know, our generation. I feel like if I have kids, eventually, like, this whole wave of, like, college and professional tees from America are going to become really yeah, popular yeah. again and all the shoes that I'm wearing now are going to go out of fashion and all of a sudden they'll be back again. So it's sort of like yeah. I'm just going to keep them because I like them and then I feel like it's just going to, you know, as you said, revolve and just come back into popularity again? Is that sort of no, how you feel? This, yeah, that's, no, that's right because there's this saying that I always hear, like sustainable influences that I follow on like Instagram and stuff, that always like the most sustainable thing is the item already in your closet, you know, but like, and as cliche as that sounds, it, it's true, like the clothing you already own is the most sustainable thing that you can wear because you already have purchased it, you've already got it in your, your possession, so it's like how do you maintain and you continue that relationship with I know that sounds silly to, to kind of have a relationship with your clothing, but um, 
it has to do with like this idea of emotional durability. So the emotional connection we create with our clothing. And I think as designers, that's something that's really hard to do. Um, kind of like how do we design with um, emotional connection in mind? And because you can't really hand someone an item of clothing and be like, you have to love this item. You have to keep this for the rest of your life. But um, yeah, if you let people develop that connection over time, it, it, um, it makes for a, a sustainable kind of um, economy. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm thinking about it on a really basic level right now, but like I've got one of dad's old bucket hats. It's an old Stussy, Stussy, however you say it, bucket hats. It's got, yeah. paint, <laughs> got paint and shit all over it. Like he's, he's used it in all our renovations since I've been growing up. And now I just rock yeah, it. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, it's a bit of fun as well. Like, you know, you, yeah, wearing the clothes that your like, dad wore and um, you know, pass it on to your kids. It's cool. Yeah, it's like that. Well, like you probably won't ever want to get rid of that hat because it has too much like emotional significance. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked this whole that whole idea. Um, now, continuing on from the from the vintage chat. So I had a chat to Jackson Thomas, who I'm not sure if you know from he runs Vintage Kit um on Instagram, yeah. and he spoke a lot about. Um, you know, making it a love. So for him running his business, there's so many vintage uh, pages going around, um, you know, and for the most part, they all just want to make money. But he was speaking a lot about, you know, having a point of difference um, and doing it for the mm-hmm. love because that's how you're going to end up getting people to want to buy your stuff and it's going to, you know, rub off on them. So I guess if to put it into this instance, so I feel like these influencers – like we've said, just want to make a quick buck. So a little side yeah, hustle yeah. Um, for whatever they're doing, a little side hustle. They know they've got the followers. People buy their stuff. Um, but it's mm. not really like a love thing. It's just sort of like put their logo on a T-shirt and a hoodie and then just pump it out there and just get as many people to buy as possible. Um, yeah. That that feels like a problem to me because more than anything, it's just it's adding to the issues we've already talked about. Um, but, you know, there's people like you obviously have the love for it and it's probably affecting your career a little bit as well? Yeah, I, I, I guess it's probably a good point. So it's hard to point out, like, the dream for me is definitely not to have my own label. I kind of, like, personally, in my personal belief, I don't, like, align with the idea of creating products. Because um, I think in itself, it's like you create a product and in, in its own way, it's, it's non-sustainable, like, contribution. But... Um, I think it's really interesting to kind of to look at it that way because, well, in any industry, you'll probably find that there are people that are only in it for the money and to gain power and affluence. Um, but I guess, like, in, in broader prospects of, like, the current climate of the world, um, like, I think we can't really think about our economy as this infinite growth system we need to kind of think of alternative ways to kind of, of grow um, exponentially. And and putting out product and, and infinite economic growth is not the answer. And I think that comes back to this idea of responsibility and, and doing good for the planet rather than your own personal gain. And I mean, if you can make clothing that is good for the planet and you can and make money, I mean, you pretty much hit the death point in, in that instance. And I mean, it's probably the most cliche thing to say, but like when you're creating cheap and disposable products like fast fashion, for example, like someone somewhere is paying for that. And I just, I think when influencers make clothing, I think they have that disassociation with the people that are making their clothing. I mean, we all do as consumers. You kind of don't think like, oh, I wonder who has has, has made this top that I'm wearing or made these pants I'm wearing, you know? And um like larger con- corporations, they're always going to be like that. They're always going to exploit people and, and brands like Zara and H&M and Topshop and Google thing, like all those fast fashion online labels, um, they all contribute to that system. And, and yeah, it's interesting to, to look at it that way. Yeah. And then another thing you talked about um, sort of goes on from that is use the analogy that you wouldn't buy a house off a builder who isn't certified. So why buy clothes from someone who isn't? And that really resonated with me because I know growing up to this point, I sort of just, you know, see something I like, it looks, it's aesthetically um, mm. pleasing, I want it. Um, yeah. You don't think about sort of the design aspect 
of it. And I feel like so many industries have that same struggle. Like um, I know my dad has experienced it a bit um, in terms of his marketing um, business. Yeah, yeah. Sort of people just sort of think, oh, that's just the easy stuff. I can do that by myself. And it's like, well, no, you can't yeah, because definitely. there's so many other things that you just don't know about and that you aren't considering. Um, so how, yeah, impor- how important is it for people to sort of remember this when it comes to their clothing as well? Like, I wrote that. I was so frustrated when I wrote that. I was just like, I need to put in like some kind of analogy for un- people to understand. Yeah, just like um, something easy, which it, 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 it actually worked, I feel. Like it's sort of, that resonated with me. I was like, well, it's, it's as simple as that. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's with any creative industry. I, well, I don't know like how you feel, but like I feel like it's the same kind of with writing as well. Like how people think that they can oh, like write a blog and something like that. Like I'm, I'm sure there's so many things that like I don't understand that you would because of your education in, in journalism that like other people just have like a completely oblivious to. Yeah. Well, um, my, my big thing sometimes comes from um, – I love like ex players are awesome in the industry and it's great, but they they are yeah. usually the best on TV for their sort of analysis during games because um, obviously they've been there and done it. But when it comes to writing, especially sometimes you see columns from ex players and I yeah. read it and I'm like, all right, there's I've picked up six things in the first paragraph that I was told not to do at university, yeah, exactly. uh, and if I did it exactly. in and trying to write for a paper or, or something. I wouldn't get the job. So it, uh, there's yeah. definitely part, you know, things like that where you sort of, you know, you feel like you're judged on a different, uh, to judge in a different a way. different standards. To, to, yeah. to others, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I understand that like going to university isn't like an option for everyone and, and it's not accessible or financially possible for everyone. But um, like in terms of the post I put up, it was directed to influencers, people that already have, like financial means and already have affluence to use their platform in a good way who but choose not to and choose to negligently um, not consider all these other things that you that we as, as students and design students are taught that like it's a big no no. You, you kinda you gotta think about like durability and functionality and those are the things we're taught and um, like they're the tools that we're given going to university essentially. Yeah, and so that's going to – it goes into well to what I want to talk about next. So um, we sort of discussed all the problems and, and, and the issues that can come through influencers um, making these brands. What are the solutions? You, you talked a bit about um, in your post about some of the solutions and things that they can do, um, you know, to become more sustainable in this industry. Yeah. Um, can you sort of talk to that a little bit? Um, yeah, so I, I think when I feel like I – I pose a problem, I need to put solutions because I, I guess it's, it's change-oriented in that, that sense. Um, but, yeah, there were four different three, um, ways I kind of suggested and the first was that for influencers to promote sustainable brands. Um, this, like, is interesting because I guess a lot more sustainable brands are on a smaller scale, so they kind of can't – they don't have, like, money in their budget to afford influencers with um, – different like monet- like uh, repayment but it's something that I think more people should do just out of like the goodness of their heart I know that's probably very naive of me to say but I think it's something more that needs to be done um, another way was that followers um, that can't probably afford to shop sustainably on a like present ways to your followers that um, so they can shop sustainably on a budget because I guess at the end of the day, sustainable fashion is not accessible to everyone. It's still a niche market and it's expensive and it isn't accessible. And it's like really hard to justify um, spending a lot of money when it's not in your financial capabilities. And that's, that in itself was a really complicated conversation to have. And um, but I personally think that if you have the financial means or if your family has the financial means to buy sustainably then you should actively you should do that because uh, I don't know I think I, the way I see it I think it's just a little bit contradictory to itself because you pay garment workers and you pay people in your supply chain fairly but then this sector this sustainable fashion sector is only reserved for wealthy predominantly white communities so I think I think a lot of this 
sustainable talk needs to go kind of hand in hand with like social justice and social reform. So then less privileged communities, especially um, people of colour in Western countries, can have that accessibility too. And we, those with in places of privilege, like I would consider myself in a place of privilege to be able to kind of push for that reform and, and kind of help in that sense. Um, but yeah, another way that I kind of mentioned was to um, also have to do with that idea of on a budget was um, mending and repairing your clothing and how that helps with that secondhand market because you're not getting leave your clothes, clothes as um, early on. Clothing swaps and mental services, like I mentioned before, they're a really good way um, to to kind of shop sustainably on a budget. I mean, those are the ways that I um, can buy clothing. If I mean, not even because I want to buy sustainably. I just mean being a student, it's hard to kind of afford all these expensive clothes. Yeah, um, I was gonna. And, I was sorry to interrupt you. I was gonna mention there. No, that no, it's um because being a well, I'm not a student anymore. I'm technically unemployed. Uh, COVID hasn't been nice to journalists, as yeah, I'm sure right. you've seen, uh, Rani. Um, but yeah, it, it is. I know it, it is hard because, um, as you said, there's so many people that just simply can't afford the, yeah. you know, the sustainable brands. Um, but that's where it comes down to influences and, and people that are privileged to be able to, I don't know, provide ways or, you know just help in some way to be able to push these sustainable brands and, and provide some sort of pathways to um, help people in this way or entice people to, to, to go down the sustainable path. Yeah, and that was the, that was kind of the other solution I posed was this, like, this idea of education. I mean, like, there are so many educational resources on this topic that are free and accessible to anyone that goes looking, that looks for it. Like, and I think there's nothing, there's no harm in influencers kind of like broadening their horizons to kind of like, I, I understand that influencers have a brand and they have an aesthetic, but I think when it's like you have a responsibility to be held to a certain account to care about these issues and to care about social reform and to care about the environment and to care about people that are less privileged than yourself. Because I think at the end of the day, I think like with a lot of the civil rights movements going on at the moment with Black Lives Matter, like if there's anything I've learned, it's that it's a privilege to learn about this stuff and not to experience it firsthand. And I, I think that's what frustrates me the most is seeing, especially like influences with these glamorous like lifestyles as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point actually. And one that I definitely agree with is um, I've had a lot of, lot of chats with my housemates Um about it and especially you know the black lives matter movement um going on at the moment is yeah we are privileged in the fact that we can educate ourselves and learn um and under try and understand without having to be um subjected to that treatment um yeah exactly and i mean like the fashion industry is a really good example because people forget that the fashion industry is built on the impression of black and brown people and it's this institutional form of racism because of a colonial past and and what I mean by that is um, like the term colonialism is that the trade routes that we use to, for fast fashion and, and different fashion um, practices they, they tie back into this European colonial exploitation and I think it, this has to do with because these systems that they're created on um, seeing the extraction and exploitation of resources from the raw materials to labour. And like I said before, of, of infinite economic growth, that, that as a means for that growth and that success. And we all fall victim to that. We all don't understand how we're contributing to this systemic racism. Like, And I mean, up until two years ago, I would have walked into Zara and bought five or six cups and not even thought about it. But yeah, like it's, it's a privilege to learn about this stuff. And I think how you said before about people like regard, begrudging Adam Good for speaking up, like instead of doing that, you need to speak up about their oppression. And, and we like they need to, so being given the platform and the courage and to speak up about their oppression. So we need to listen and be better and, and 
influencers have that same responsibility to do better and to be better and then to accept when they've done something wrong and commit to try better in the future. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, as you said, so for us, for me, so for someone like me who, as you, I would consider myself privileged, um, you know, mm-hmm. wonderful parents at home uh, that can help me out if I'm struggling and whatnot. So for people like us, we need to understand that learning about uh, the sustainable fashion industry is a privilege and the fact that we are able to make yeah. a change is something that we need to take on board, I feel, um, because it's mm-hmm. easy – I mean, moving out of home, it's easy to go to Kmart and buy a hundred bucks worth of shit and yeah, just like right. take it home because it's so easy. But it's a privilege to be yeah. able to understand. Like for me now, like my understanding of this, I feel has grown so much in in these forty five minutes with, that we've been talking. Um, so it's a privilege for me to be able to know about it and now be able to do something about it. So you know, as you said, yeah. I, I, <laughs> a week ago. I would have just bought whatever, like from from whoever. Yeah. It just didn't matter. But mm-hmm. now it's definitely something I'm going to manage in, my, in you know when I'm making decisions on what I'm going to buy. Is you know where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. Who is making it? All these all the things you spoke about. I feel like um, so you mentioned that you know two years ago you would have just gone into a store and just bought whatever. So it's obviously something that's happened yeah. recently for you, um, and I yeah. know a few other. Um, I know a few other uh, ladies from Ballarat are doing are studying similar courses to you, so I'm assuming they have the same beliefs. Uh, if that's is that would I be correct in saying that? Uh, yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> um, I'm going to assume that because I, I think that's really, the right thing. Yeah, for me it was really interesting because um, I guess at the start of or the end of 2018, I was working out at a hotel. I feel like I'm getting a little off topic, but I, I'm sure I'll come to. Uh, you really don't understand. Um, and I was seeing a lot more food waste and kind of how easily that kind of stuff gets thrown out. And I was like, sort of like, how can we kind of fix those problems? And after working over the summer, I was kind of like, oh, like reassessing my career in fashion. I was like, I don't really see, I've become really interested in my carbon footprint and my, what I do to be sustainable. And I was just having a really hard time to kind of see the correlation between the fashion industry and sustainability I mean and then when I went back to uni um, I had started an internship in Melbourne at a circular fashion label so who I work with there her name's Courtney Holmes and um, I'd have to say she's probably been like the one person that's had such a huge impact in, in reshaping the way I think about this sector um, and not only that I went when I went back to uni a, a lecture of mine was really amazing and kind of guiding me towards the right path as well to think more sustainably as a designer. And um, that, those two people are definitely the driving forces for why I am so interested and why I'm so passionate about talking about this stuff. Yeah, and I guess, um, so I'm, with the assumption that, you know, other other uni graduates like yourself are going to be feeling the same, is, is this mm. movement something that you think is going to um, pick up even more? Because I feel like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't discussed as much at university, maybe just without the, the knowledge of it yet or maybe just pushing it aside because yeah. I didn't want to talk about the issues. But now that, you know, you're so passionate about this, is it something that we can expect to come from, um, you know, the young fashion graduates from now on? And yeah, then it definitely. becomes a bit more of a mainstream um, ideal? Yeah, like the idea of um, sustainability was only introduced to me in my third year. So I've done a lot of learning in the, in the past probably a year and a half um but i mean in the past year rmit has a new um sustainable fashion program and that works mainly on the ideas of circularity and there's also a new course in melbourne that's at collapse which is a private university and they um there's a course devoted to sustainable fashion there as well so i think yeah you can definitely expect more graduates to kind of come out of uni ready to tackle these big problems and look at them based on and think and, and be active problem solvers in, in these problems. Yeah, well, I hope so because uh, I know I've learned so much and um, yeah. it's definitely something that I want other people to learn now because, you know, uh, the earth needs it, first of all. Uh, and yeah. I think society <laughs> needs it a little bit as well to um, get away from making a quick buck. And uh, and doing the right yeah. thing uh, is my belief. Right. Um, 
Well, Rani, thanks for for joining me. Can we? What what can we expect from Rani in the future? We're gonna is there you know you're gonna be become a household name. I know, I know you said you didn't want to make a label, but like what can we expect from Rani in the in the industry? That's- that's a really good question to ask. Oh, you're not sure yet. Are you not sure yet? <laughs> no, I, I'll put I you really, on the spot a bit. Yeah. No, yeah, I have absolutely no idea what I want to do. I think, like, for me, the most interesting part about um, this stuff is the educational side of it, and that's something that I'm really passionate about talking to other people, as much as it is some people don't appreciate me talking to them about it. But um, I think that's, that's something that I'd like to probably pursue in the future and like in terms of what that is I have no clue yet but yeah I mean I think that's probably the reason why I've gone back to study is just to kind of absorb as much more information as I can and kind of gain a bit more expertise in this field before I kind of take take all my knowledge into the um, industry and into my career. Yeah I guess that's a good way to go about it Rani and uh and I can't wait to see what else you can do um in the industry, I mean, you've only what learned about this for a year and a bit, year and a half, and you've already got this yeah. much uh, knowledge, and you've taught me so much. So um, <laughs> I look forward to, to having some more discussions about this in the future. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining me today. And uh, no, thank you. Uh, is, is this the first podcast? Or, yes, it is. Yeah. Well, uh, so congratulations! You went really well. I'm probably I'm probably going to listen back to this and hate the way that you know that video where you. Where you watch it, listen to yourself on video, and you're like, "Oh God, do I really sound like that?" Yeah, don't worry. I've had, I've, I still have that problem. I've done, I don't know how many yeah. episodes <laughs> worth of podcasts, and I still hate the sound of my voice. So, um, no. it never quite goes away. I don't think, but you start to just get used to it a little bit more. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for joining me, Rani. No, thanks, Ollie.